Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. We dive into overlooked films and TV and pitch stories that need to be made. Today we're knocking some classic films off their pedestals and replacing them with some deep cuts. Then we'll pitch an original story and talk about what's currently on our radar. Pull up a chair, baby. I almost said in the like knocking some classic films off the pedestal, I almost would be like off their high horse. But I was like, but I want people to be like, wait, are they talking about Western? So I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Western theme. It's episode. an all Western personal bonanza. <laughs> oh, bonanza. Oh. Get hoss. <laughs> oh man. I've never seen one single like second of bonanza. Oh really? My grandmother yeah. loved bonanza. So it was I've on seen for fifty five years. Oh my god. Not really. really? It was like, I was saying it was oh, on for I, it was on for like I don't even know, like literally a 30. I'm making a joke, but it's actually there pretty close. There were like to... 80s episodes, I think, right? I think it was on for like 30 years oh, or something crazy. crazy. Like and 25 it years. all looked the same, so who's to say which episode I was oh seeing? Oh my God, I don't Whatever. Know. It's like it was on for like two and a half Frasers or something. <laughs> that's, that's all I know. That's the markation of time. Yeah. <laughs> a Frasier season plus. So yeah. So what was it? Supernatural was on for one and a half, like one a, and a third. Like one and a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Frasers, which is madness. How long, wait, how many seasons of Frasier were there? Eleven. Eleven. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That's just, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> that's how I say it. I don't even say decade anymore. It's like, it's a Frasier. It's a Frasier. <laughs> so you, well, a, de- a decade and some change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you proposed this episode concept it was hard for me to get my brain around because i don't really feel like i think about sort of canonic or like i just don't think about films that Mm -hmm. what's considered canonical very much like it just became this thing where then i would get fixated on a couple movies and trying to find an exact Mm -hmm. replacement yeah not a good idea as it turns (laughs) out i would just be in the shower like there's gotta be something give me something (laughs) divine intervention yeah but the way that I approached this um, after you suggested like swapping out some some sort of classic like cannon fodder if you will will. (laughs) Uh, were movies that had really kind of bugged me like that I hear people talk about or you just are constantly referenced Mm -hmm. even in other media a lot and just stuff I'm like shut up about about it ooh now I wish I would have done Back to the Future because I so (gasps) Sick. So okay, tired. sorry. I even brought it up. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Let's see. I just remember, like, ooh, I should have done. Ooh. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, because there's almost like a whole, there could be a whole 80s version of just like popular movies. <sighs> yeah. For like like the beta male. <laughs> like, yeah. for like, you're all the ones I keep uh, lionizing. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Oh, yeah. I just went on a tangent the there. Beta- <laughs> Are you getting red filled right now? Yeah. Oh, my God. This podcast. Um, so yeah, I just found suitable replacements that I preferred, mm-hmm. like tonally, cinematically, mm-hmm. yeah. story-wise, pretty much in every way. Although I don't know if it's necessarily, it's not like a one-to-one plot-wise. They're just mm-hmm. sort of maybe yeah. thematically sort yeah. of touching on them. Yeah. It could also be read as a recommended if you mm-hmm. like, maybe. Yeah. If you want to take out like a ne- the negative connotation <laughs> yeah. of it, it could be... If you really love this genre of movie and this is like your iconic movie, maybe you want to dig a little deeper. Yeah, or if someone's bending your ear about a classic, you can be like, well, maybe we should think about 
this instead. Yeah. Know, Please stop talking to yeah. me about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I have no words to speak <laughs> about it. Um, so I can okay, start off. Start out. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> Based on the eye contact, I think it's my turn. So I am submitting for replacement. My, I thought you were saying for my approval. Submitting <laughs> for, for your approval. approval. Mm-hmm. I want to swap Schindler's List for The Nasty Girl. I don't know The Nasty Girl. Okay. Tell me about it. Well, so first Schindler's List, we'll just get <laughs> Sorry, that's from Goosebumps Podcast. Sorry, we're going to... Especially, like, topic-wise. Oh, yeah, like, Schindler's List, get nasty. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But, so Schindler's List is kind of emblematic to me of that kind of classic liberal universe that directors like Spielberg inhabit, uh, where there's, like, this great evil and an even greater good, and the goodness of people will win out and triumph over evil because that is, like, the natural order of things. It's a very teleological vision of history. We all know this to be a deeply false fantasy narrative (laughs) that people tell themselves to sleep well at night and vote for Joe Biden. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, All you really need to know about Schindler's List, if you haven't seen it, is that, yes, it does base itself on the true story of a Nazi war profiteer who has a crisis of conscience. It's very focused on the change of heart and heroism of one of the oppressors in a genocide. Uh, It makes it a story about this lone good man and... It kind of erases the millions of stories of the actual people experiencing this. It also ignores the complicity and complication of everyday citizens' lives um, and choices under Nazi power. This is not a unique sentiment for me. There's a lot of academic work. Uh, There's actually an entire book that is um, intellectual critiques of Schindler's List and why it's a harmful kind of narrative. So The Nasty Girl is a... Truly Merciless Black Comedy (laughs) from 1990. And it's directed by Michael Verhoeven. It is actually also based on a true story. Okay. So it's based on the true story of Anne Elizabeth Rosmus. What were you going to say? No, I just didn't know it was Verhoeven. Yeah. Because he he does a lot of World War II stuff. And so that is actually, I um, can get behind. So, yes. So this, and this actually, it takes place in... Like 70s, 80s. So Lena Stolza plays Sonia. She... It starts out, she wins West Germany an award in a European political essay contest with this super uncontroversial historical essay that's like, Greece is the foundation of democracy. And everyone's (laughs) like, genius, here's your prize. And everyone's so proud of her. And then building on that success, she decides to write another historical essay, this time called My Town During the Third Reich. So she had been raised on all these stories of these sort of anti-fascist resistance in her town. And so she initially thinks that it'll be this welcome subject for research in her small Bavarian hometown. But instead, she's just totally stonewalled. Um, So the story ends up unfolding over the years, and she has to cajole, she has to creep around, (laughs) Mm -hmm. she has to threaten, she actually has to sue um, to pry the actual town historical documents out of local archives. So Mm -hmm. basically, no one wants to give her any information and is just like, oh, no, there were no Nazis here and there were no Jews, so I don't know. Um, She's just this very unlikely crusader for truth. She's just kind of this funny, not especially academic girl. She gets married, has kids along the way, has her life, but she just keeps plugging away. And at a certain point, the stonewalling turns to actual violence because people are so 
threatened by the idea of facing the truth of what happened, Mm -hmm. that her town was actually quite complicit under the Nazi regime, that they just, they lash out. Like she, Mm -hmm. like in real life, Anna Rossmus had to live under police protection for many years because of her project about her hometown of Passau, Mm. also in West Germany. Um, So Verhoeven kind of intersperses the narrative with a kind of a real melange of (laughs) dramatic styles and film styles and color, not color. There's a real theatricality to some of the scenes that give it a lot of life, even though it's dark subject matter. It is there is a lot of humor in it. Um, so for one, I love this movie for how it frames archives as sites of reinforcement and protection of the narratives of those in power. Mm-hmm. That's actually very contemporary, like very recent critical assessment that you see in literature more. Um, but beyond that, I just think it's a really, it's very good at telling the story of how we cultivate memory and consciously forget and how those who benefit from an oppressive system the legacy of what our ancestors did or even what our parents did, how we will resort to all kinds of means to resist even like the suggestion that we still benefit from the legacy of a system like that up to and including violence um, because we just can't face what it means to dismantle it. And um, I think for 1990, it's just a really interesting, you know, it's also like right at the sort of end of um East and West Germany. So there's just a lot of reckoning with the legacy of World War II. And it's just so much more interesting than this kind of like, there's one good man (laughs) story of Schindler's List. It's so much more complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nasty Girl, 1990. For like a half a second, I thought you were talking about Nasty Baby, that uh, silver movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, ooh, what's the connection here? I haven't seen that either. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So... The movie that I'm just knocking off its high horse uh, is 400 Blows. Um, it's just the real golden child yeah, it um, is. of like new wave cinema or just anyone that's in the, like the uh, do you like film. <laughs> Have you ever mm-hmm. seen this? Um, so I recommend Peppermint Soda, which I had never even heard of until recently. I just came across it on Amazon somewhere. I think it was on Amazon. Um, so it's a 1977 film directed by actor, writer, director. I guess it's French, it should be like Dion, but D- Diane uh, Carice, I guess. And it's two young sisters, and I can't, I can't remember their ages, but I think it was like a 13-year-old named Anne and like a 16-year-old n- named Frédéric. And they live with their divorced mom in Paris in 1963, and they attend an all-girls private school. So the movie shows the sisters dealing with everything from sadistic teachers and some classic, uh, yeah, some light shoplifting to violent protests uh, in Paris and unrest in Algeria and JFK getting assassinated. I mean, it's just kind of mentioned. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny because they're all like the family's like in the the parlor, and then the youngest one comes in and is like JFK is assassinated, and they're like, "Shut up, stop lying." <laughs> it kind of just ends there, and I'm like, "I like that." Yeah. Anyway, they're, they're like, like "You're lying." No, <laughs> no get out of here. <laughs> And so just a couple of little, like, little points about it. Uh, one of Frederick's uh, friends runs off with a boy for several weeks, just, like, to run away. And, and everyone's just, like, not concerned. Like, she's you know, like, oh, she oh, murdered. She's doing nothing. Um, no problem. Yeah, she's just a runaway. And when Frederick visits that girl's father, just be like, hey, do you have any updates or whatever? And he's a much older man. Um, and when Frederick is about to leave, they kiss. And I'm like, nope. I was like, what the fuck? And then it just, like, doesn't... I mean, luckily they don't fuck, but still, I was like, oh, boy. Like Um, a romantic kiss? 
it was, I don't know, it was kind of like a, we're both in this grief thing, so I'd like to, maybe that's making it too sweet. It was sort of a romantic kiss, and yeah. then it wasn't just like a little It wasn't sweet, like a little, a little cheek kiss. kiss. Okay. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't no. a forehead kiss. Um, and he was, I mean, uh, a silver fox, so he's old. It was yeah. weird. Yeah. And something also about the school... Um, I want to live, or I want to have lived in a school where if you're like, oh, I've got period cramps, they're like, okay, we'll go to the nurse, and you can just, like, lay down in, like, a little, like, bed cot, and we're going to serve you um, tea, and you can just take a little nap. And I'm like, that, I mean, that's how I was like, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, that, that'd be nice. And just day-to-day life if we were allowed <laughs> yeah. that anyway. No kidding. I want that now. I know. <laughs> At and, work. <laughs> I know, right? And also, their school uniform um, is, like, a beige sort of Clinique lab coat. Um, <gasps> Um, with their names hand embroidered in red oh on them, God. and anyway, that, sorry, these are really important it. thematic no. things for me. This is I also just know something I love at work. I know, I really <laughs> like it. And also in the girls' apartment, they have these wall colors that I would never consider for myself. But you know, French apartments, I'm just like, how do they get away with that? Yeah. So one of them was like a lemon yellow, mm. and normally I wouldn't like that, but it looks great. And then there's also like this dark magenta. Anyway, also very <laughs> all very important things. It's visually very visually, compelling. Yeah. Um, so I was gonna say also like 400 blows. It's about um, a young person who acts out because they feel unloved and, and unappreciated. And about the difficulties of navigating the world when you're a young teen. And the film even ends with uh, the youngest one, Anne, running towards the ocean and sort of looking back over her shoulder. And I was like, oh, wait, like that, ha- that can't oh, be an accident. That has to be, be an homage, kind of reference. right? Yeah. yeah, it has to be a reference because the same ending is 400 Blows. So, yeah, I'd say check it out. That's like a, I feel like that's an easy choice. I know, to like, it, it completely yeah. pairs it's up. It's like you can yeah. just, you can just <laughs> head on over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so tonal shift a bit mm-hmm. and age-wise shift. <laughs> Everything shift. Yeah. <laughs> Just really <laughs> killing the clutch here. <laughs> um, for The Godfather, oh. I submit for your review mm-hmm. <laughs> for replacement uh, Mikey and Nikki, directed oh. by Elaine May, 1976. So I kind of feel like The Godfather goes beyond canon and into this ingrained cultural touchstone that we can't escape, like every college dorm that has a stupid (laughs) Godfather poster. It just took these, like, you know, first and second gen Italian immigrants and this complicated story of, like, crime and community um, in enclaves and sort of elevated these men into these mythical epic figures. It obviously laid out the blueprint for... So many, 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 many mob movies to <laughs> yeah. come. Ugh. And I actually feel like it goes even beyond that. It's just like a favorite movie among a certain demographic of men. Like it's clear that the Godfather movies mean a lot more than just a film to the kind of people who think that Tony Soprano is the hero of his story, <laughs> yeah. you know? And actually, I think characters reference the Godfather quite a bit, at least in the early seasons of Sopranos. Oh, yeah, I believe so. Um, so in Mikey and Nikki, uh, John Cassavetes stars as Nikki. He works for the mob. He is a hunted man with a price on his head. His numbers come up due to a bad deal. He owes a lot of money to his boss. He knows there's a contract out on him, so he reaches out to his childhood friend Mikey, who is played by Peter Falk. Yes, I can't get away from Cassavetes and Falk. I just, those zaddies are just, those zaddies. problematic zaddies just keep coming up. Um, so Problematies that I'm trying to there's a rhyme. There's, yeah. there's a portmanteau. Problematies. In there. 
Oh no! Is that wrong? That I think that's actually like a crucial. <laughs> that's word a for crucial us. word. We need that in our okay, lexicon. Problematies. Okay. Yeah, these, it's in. So two problem. These two problematies. Play yeah. childhood friends. So Mikey also works for the same crime boss. And Nikki calls him up sort of in desperation. So the film just follows them through this evening spent in like dirty bars and all night movie theaters, a cemetery, hotels, apartments, in interaction with the various women they mistreat. (laughs) What I love about the film is that uh, Elaine May refuses to glamorize these guys and what they're Mm. involved in. She very straightforwardly shows them as these small, misogynist, abusive chicken shit men but she's not totally pitiless about it Mm -hmm. like they're lonely and they're desperate and even though nikki is the one with the contract on his head mikey is revealed to be just as sort of grasping and full of dread and it's just as another one of those great 70s depictions of that kind of like fail son late modern like masculinity where they're Mm -hmm. so trapped and their their friendships are really the only thing that they have yeah i do think if so speaking of if you recommend it if you like if you like Sopranos I think you should see this film Mm -hmm. the final scene of the film is pretty incredible and really worth it for Peter Falk's acting like alone the story with this film is that May shot way more footage than Paramount wanted and she went way over budget and she would essentially be blacklisted in Hollywood as a difficult woman, especially after Ishtar in oh, yeah. 1987. Which, I mean, I think it's yeah, an okay I film. Think I think like, it's got a lot of good points. Okay. I think she, this is the time to revisit her, which mm-hmm. I feel like people have been, like her movies are being shown more because people are realizing like, oh, what made her a difficult, mm-hmm. difficult woman director or writer mm-hmm. in her sort of young days, other people. Like male directors were just considered. Well, he's just an auteur. He's just a man. Yeah. Um, with Mikey and Nikki, you can see she has it. This attention to these really small details that make her characters so much more nuanced and full of pathos, especially for a '70s movie about two guys in the mob. Like, mm-hmm. there's just yeah. so much more there. Yeah. Uh, so I watched it on Canapé. So yeah. Don't even need. Don't even need <laughs> Criterion Channel for it. I think it probably is on there, but I haven't. Has that started yet? I feel like I keep yes. checking and okay. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, because okay. I watched I watched my next one on it Ooh, last okay. night. <laughs> I broke the little icebreaker. All right. Anyway, um, well, I think mine was on the Filmstruck. My next one's on the Filmstruck mm-hmm. site, RIP. And so maybe it'll be on the new Criterion. Yeah, I don't probably. know, or it might be on Canopy. I should have checked this out first. Yeah. But anyway, okay. Here's the the headline: is I hate like mid century nostalgic films about like white straight men and like yes. the good old times especially like 50s and 60s Greece. and yeah, and, yeah. And all that crap american graffiti so, yes so saturday night fever obviously i guess that's set in the 70s but still it still counts for me yeah <laughs> um and so let's replace that with a film called cooley high from 1975 Directed by Michael Schultz, who also did Crush Groove, Car Wash, The Last Car Dragon, wash. and, okay, this was something I just saw, a 1972 TV movie called To Be Young, Gifted, and Black about the life and times of Lorraine Hansberry, writer of A Raisin the Sun, because you mentioned yeah. that a while ago, right, about wanting yeah. some sort of story about her. I so didn't realize that there had been a TV movie biography yeah, of her already. Exactly. We so, gotta see it. You need to check that out. Yeah. So, um, it is written by Eric Monte, who went on to write What's Happening, which I think they try to make Cooley High into a 
a show and it was maybe just a mm. little too dramatic. It just didn't quite play. Yeah. So they kind of turned that into what's happening. And there was like a really weird, uh, I, sometimes these IMDb credits, like when it's sort of like a writing credit, like story by or characters mm-hmm. based or when, something like that. So this had a curious credit for Eric Monte on what's happening. It said, suggested by the American International Picture Cooley High written by Eric Monte. Like, what? that had all those words for what's happening. I, that's I like, like a word salad that I, I can't it's quite like piece The out. American International, what? <laughs> anyway, that was all. I was just like, oh, did he write out what's happening? Yeah. And I was like, oh, or maybe it's just a character's by, but it said all I of that. Don't. I just, I just, sorry. Yeah, you're just, just repeating to, it verbatim. I just had to tell the world that that happened. Okay, yeah. anyway. So um, this one's also set in like the early mid-60s, uh, same as Peppermint Soda. So 1964. A group of high school students on the north side of Chicago enjoy a carefree life of friends and partying. Then life changes when two of the friends meet some career criminals and get falsely arrested in connection with stealing a Cadillac. So we follow their lives through the end of high school and the dramatic, tragic end to their school year. So, like I said, I loathe most mid-century uh, nostalgic pieces sitting around white men. I just chose Saturday Night Fever. I know it's technically the 70s, but whatever. But yeah, like the Wonder Years... American Graffiti. Yeah, they're just so misogynist. Oh, I already said that. Yeah, yeah Grease. No, exactly, Grease. <laughs> I mean, we can keep going. I mean, there's some that I'm okay with, like Diner. It's like, yeah. it's fine, but it's also like... Uh, well, it's just, it's yeah. like, it kind of is that, it's again, it's like envisioning this America that never fucking existed. Yeah. Like, even if you looked at, on the surface, what was like this time of like this mm-hmm. boom but yeah. what was great about america there was like abuse and <laughs> yeah. poverty and people going hungry and family secrets and just like misery yeah. and inequality and like all of that shit was underneath yeah. this like you can't trust the tv ads for new fridges as like an example <laughs> yeah. of what it was like yeah. like that's not what it was like yeah exactly the madman of it all yeah so- so, yeah, I just, but specifically Saturday Night Fever is so misogynistic and so yeah. rapey. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. And just like this false, like whipped up drama. Yeah. And, and it's tragedy that I'm like, I'm fine if certain characters die. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. Um, so I just want to burn that to the ground. Yeah. And let's uh, just take a look at a Cooley High. I think it's got yeah. everything. Um, also love the looks. Mm. Lots of primary colors and like Oxford shirts and sweaters Ooh, and like yeah. tweed and converse. So yeah, I would highly recommend it. And I'm yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to be on the new Criterion channel. It's around. I think it's, it's on like Voodoo for like three bucks oh, or something. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in the mix. <laughs> God, I hate uh, Wonder Years. You know, oh my you're a kid God, and you're watching shows. Like that, and you're like, with the voiceover. Okay, but you know what I am sympathetic <sighs> to. You but, know what I do love Sandlot. I do like a good. Oh Sandlot. Oh yeah, yeah. Sandlot. That's good. a. It's, it's, it's like kids. It's kids. I guess Wonder Years is like, but that's like an old man looking back. Yeah. Like if it's just like kids playing baseball, yeah. that's cute. Yeah. It's just I'm like okay that is one I'm like that's real cute. I've actually never seen it, but I I know. oh yeah yeah. Well, and a league of their own I like that too. Yeah okay, but those are like sports movies. I don't think that counts. No, those are baseball. It's movies. like you're talking about like just like Americana like they're yeah, just yeah like, just like ugh I don't know. It sucks. Sorry, and I just, it's boring. I just, yeah, it's, it's all so fake. Boring. It's it's, it's, so it's a false boring. narrative. It's yeah. not what happened. Yeah, and it sucks. Yeah. And the people who are now, like, burning our world to the ground, yeah. they think that was real. Yeah. Because that's what movies told them. Sorry. Not to get, like, all rage and be like, exactly. <gasps> you're right. Yeah. Girl, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, apparently, I also feel passionately about this, so I'm glad that you found her No, I just, it. and I could go on, and I should have thought of some more examples, but I was just like, 
And like again, I know I was like saying like, oh, it's mid-century things. I'm like, but Saturday Night Fever. But no, it's like, but it's, it's like, like that kind late, of like, it's still nostalgic. It's like a Baroque mid-century. Because they're, you know? they're kind of greasers. So in that, yeah. I mean, they're disco, but they're still kind of like 50s and cars and shit. Yeah. And, you know, anyways. Yeah. Okay, so I know I mentioned a Varda film on the last episode, but we recorded that one right before she passed. Oh, I know. So I wanted to get yeah. one on this one because yeah. I just, it was like right before, and you had just had a thing about uh, appreciating we people. Appreciate <laughs> so know, we did. Like, yeah, we did for she two days. She was well appreciated. Yeah, no, she was. Yeah, in her time. So I'm keeping that appreciation fest going and nominating her 1985 film Vagabond. French title, ooh, I'm going to mangle this, oh Sans Trois-Ni-Lois, with neither place nor law, which is a pun on the French expression Sans Trois-Ni-Lois, with neither faith nor law. Mm. So it's like already like a pun in the title. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was a word to mention, even though I mangled it. That's <laughs> great. Um, I am submitting it as an alternative to Easy Rider, which is a movie I wanted to get on out of here pretty much <laughs> since I first saw it. I mean, you know the drill. It's a movie about these untamed masculine yeah. spirits played by Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. Jack Nicholson is also in it. Mm. They're driving across country. They're living on the edge of society and the law. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Who cares, <laughs> really? Yeah. I it. It appeals deeply to a certain kind of man, and I prefer not to interact with it. Yeah. <laughs> no shade if you uh, like the movie a lot, but I'm going to pitch Vagabond <laughs> as something you should watch instead. <laughs> uh, so it stars Sandrine Bonaire as Mona. She is hitchhiking. She's probably like early 20s. She's hitchhiking around this frozen rural French landscape, like as bleak as you'll probably see a French yeah. a French landscape in a film. She's camping and staying in squats, in farms, in greenhouses, wherever she can. I mean, it really is like bleak as hell. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the literal opening scene depicts farm workers discovering her frozen corpse in a ditch. <laughs> like that's oh, where it starts. Like it starts from now. I just think you should know that yeah. going in. That's where yeah. it starts. Um, so the story progresses through flashbacks and first person narrative of people who interacted with her sort of tracing her path and her ultimate decline. She is not um, an especially sympathetic protagonist, I thought, which is probably not surprising coming from a feminist filmmaker like Mm -hmm. Varda. She's sort of is interested in difficult women characters, I think. Uh, So Mona refuses to conform even to like our idealized notions of what a girl who would be out sleeping rough might be like or how she might act towards the people who show her a little bit of kindness. Like, she'll work when she has to, but even when this hippie goat farmer with a philosophy degree and his (laughs) wife offer her a place to stay, and they offer her land, she basically just hangs out and stares vacantly into space (laughs) instead of helping or even, like, seizing the opportunity. Uh, She's not really trying to get anywhere or do anything in particular, you kind of realize, or I realize, that I've been trained to expect this as a film viewer, that there's some objective or dream we're supposed to be rooting for for mm-hmm. her as an audience, and that's just, yeah. she just removes that entirely yeah. from the picture. Um, I just think it's very frank movie about how a young woman traveling alone is endangered and vulnerable to abuse, but I think that Varda really resists making her this broken, tragic figure. Mm-hmm. She is not Lars von Trier, so she doesn't think the <laughs> suffering of women makes them holy. Yeah. Like, it's a real counterpoint there. Uh, women, characters in the film interact with her seem to find her very fascinating and quite free, even as society in general around her 
um, rejects her as like literally smelly and untrustworthy. <laughs> yeah. I read this interview where Varda talks about preparing for the film by picking up hitchhikers, and she actually mentioned that once she took this young woman to get something to eat, and the restaurant owner rejected them and kicked them out, saying that the girl smelled too bad to serve. <laughs> Man. I know. Uh, you can really tell that that affected uh, Varda quite a bit because she keeps coming back to this notion that once you're deemed socially unacceptable by those kind of physical markings of poverty, by your clothes, your smell, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to climb your way out of that. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. And it is on the new Criterion channel oh. if you're itching to fire that up. <laughs> it worked. No bugs because that was the All first right. day that it was on. So. Oh, shit. Um, what I remember about that movie, um, and I could be misremembering, but I feel like, I don't know how you describe this with, like, the editing, is that, like, each, I don't know if it vignette or whatever, each, you know, frame by frame, scene by scene, it's like it would meld into the next yeah. one, a different setting, but it's like, if, say, if she's walking, um, across the screen to the right in the next, so she walks yes. off the frame to the right, then in the next frame, in a totally different location, different everything, mm-hmm. she'll be coming in from the left, or, or just little, yeah, little it's touches very, it's like that. It's almost like tracing her yeah, path exactly. visually, yeah. that you don't I'm, really, yeah. I'm sure there's like a proper word for that, but like I'm the sure. blocking, or whatever you call it, where it in like with the with the editing, it'll, there's like a, a visual rhyme to it or something, yeah, so, yeah sort of a, a rhythm, a flow. Anyway, so I remember that's that's uh, stuck out to me. And that's that photographer's eye, man, that she just, yeah, she killed it with that. So here is, here's a genre that I would love to get rid of. Okay. The female stalker movie. Because (sighs) um, there's way too many of them. I mean, I'm sure there's male stalker movies. But I couldn't think of a ton of them besides, like, fear and, yeah. like, I don't know. And, like, why are women so overrepresented in stalker movies when we are exactly. deeply underrepresented in real life? Yes. So I love, I feel like from the beginning, they were like, you know what? Let's do stalker films. But let's flip the gender script on mm. this from the get-go and then never look mm-hmm. back and just keep doing it. So uh, so I just watched Play Misty for me. That's why. I don't know why I watched that because it's a Clint Eastwood movie. Anyway, oh. but I wanted some. So I wanted some mm-hmm. Jessica Walter in my life. And she was, I was rooting for her the whole time. Um, Get him. Yeah, exactly. I was like, stab him. Um, <laughs> so Swim Fan, Misery, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Disclosure, The Piano Teacher, Poison Ivy, The Crush. Okay, but the one I'm talking about today that I'm replacing today is Fatal Attraction. Again, it's, I don't think it's really lauded as like a great film, but it definitely has that like it's a um, cultural t- touchstone. Yeah. Exactly. I keep coming back to it. And I'm not going to lie, like, if there was, like, a sexy, like, thriller that came out that was a female stalker movie, yeah, I might see it. But <laughs> I'm just saying I'm still tired of it generally. Yeah. Um, but I would like to replace it with The Plumber, um, which is a 1979 TV movie uh, by the Australian director Peter – is it Peter Weir? Weir? I always say Weir, but – I want to say Weir, but I feel like it might be Weir. Anyways, you, you get it. Um, he also directed Picnic at Hanging Rock, Dead Poet Society, Truman Show, and a bunch of stuff. So, The Plumber, yes, it is about Jill, a master's student of anthropology who lives in university housing flat with her husband. Um, while she's working on her thesis alone in her home by day, um, a plumber named Max stops by and says he's sent to work in the pipes in her bathroom. And then this starts an escalating nightmare of microaggressions. That I think is more horrifying than uh, straight up horror films, most of the, you know. Yeah. So he keeps showing up every day and making a bigger and bigger mess and is just basically making her feel crazy and trapped. Yeah. 
just by these sort of like social, not really niceties, but this sort yeah. of social pressure to be nice and mm. to be like, well, you were, you were sent here by the super or whatever. And of course, as a viewer, you're like, oh, he he obviously wasn't sent by the super. Yeah. But she investigates and he was. And I feel like that's oh, even more infuriating yeah. because like everyone in the building can vouch for him. And they're like, he's a great guy. Like even women are like, he's great. What are you talking oh, about? You know, um, you're crazy, uh, which is also like a triggering thing for me in a movie where I'm like, that's just the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, it, I don't know. I just think it's a very prescient horror film uh, for, for our times because sometimes it's not these overarching, like, there's a guy physically trying to harm me mm-hmm. or even, like, a sexual assault, like a, bi- like a big, yeah. scary, violent act. It's like this micro-violence yeah. of... It, I mean, he does... It does cross in that line a little bit, but it's but more it of like it's more of that like will it happen? Like, yeah. am I gonna hurt you? You know, well, like, it's like the constant fear that you live in as a woman. As a woman, that exactly. Your boundaries are constantly being pushed against, mm-hmm. yes. especially by cis men. Like mm-hmm. that. I mean, even how many people have stories about taking um, some kind of rideshare app and yes. like these people are supposedly passed a background check, but like mm-hmm. I have so many runs. I have said, oh, this driver got really creepy and weird, and I had to yeah. like call my friend and be yeah. like, hey, yeah, I'm meeting blah blah blah. Yeah, because and the steps you have to take to because society is just like, oh, they're fine, like they're vouched for. Like, yeah. what are you afraid of? Why are you being so paranoid? Yeah, and. But then on the other end, when you do experience violence, nobody believes you. And they're like, why did you put yourself in that yeah. situation? So, and sometimes it's not even, and this, like I said, this film does go a little beyond this, but sometimes it's not even a guy doing, like I said, a violent act. It's just sometimes it's like they're taking our energy taking away. Our like taking like, your time. And if they say something, if they're weird to you, if they say something awful, yeah. like, and for example, I was working in my shop. I was like laying flooring. I was doing like a really, you know, yeah. like I was you know, sweating and, like, putting in flooring and just, like, um, and then this guy, like, came up to the, the door and he was, like, oh, hey, I, you had some question about parking or whatever and it's, like, eight at night and then he was, like, oh, what, do you, you got a little shop here? And I was, like, so, sorry, this is just, like, a personal story. I just wanted to vent. Was, I was, yeah. like, yeah, I got a little shop because I got a little degree and I put myself in a little debt and uh, this is my living. It's just a little way I put food on the table. So, just that alone. Fuck I was off. like, I had to think about that little comment, which yeah. women get that all the time. I was like, would you say that to a dude? Like, oh, is this a little um, motorcycle business you have here? Yeah, exactly. Know? Is this a little uh, doctor's office you have Look here? Cute little lady yeah. doing your little thing, playing shoppy. <sighs> yeah, isn't that cute? Well, and then like, the, and then just the idea that you need to be entertained, like that they need to be entertained by you, like they are owed your yeah. time your attention yeah your space i mean it sounds like with this film it's like in her actual yeah. home so what are you home, so there's another do? layer of like i can't really escape this and he's sort of like the pipes are going all across the house oh he's just God. ruining her life like right. it, it is actually like kind of scary right but like yeah. so it, like it, like i said it, it keeps escalating but i i just feel like but it's just he, too a logical extreme yeah, really. yeah exactly yeah. so i feel like few films really delve into and that sort of again just like microaggression territory um, and I'm just really surprised that a 1979 Australian yeah. film did that, you know, with, uh, like, a male director. So, anyway. Yeah. It, okay. This sounds... <laughs> this is, like, out of nowhere. <laughs> Do you think that Cable Guy was influenced by it? Because it kind of oh, sounds yeah, like the plot. I, I mean, seen it, but I, that's yeah. man on man. It's like a male... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, like, a very similar, intrusive, weird... Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. No, that no. Was just, I, I, I haven't seen, it. but I know enough about Cable yeah. Guy to be like, yeah, probably so. Yeah. Interesting. 
They were like, we can't, we can't have, we can't remake this with another woman. Oh, no, that's no, crazy. no, it's got to be this a, poor man. This poor he just man. wants to watch TV. <laughs> yeah, he literally, that's basically it. Oh boy. <laughs> Okay, it's that time. Time to build the pitch. <laughs> so this yep. is a game we play where we each bring two elements unknown to one another and pitch a movie on the spot. I'm leading this time, and let me tell you, this is real improvised because I just came up with this <laughs> nay 13 minutes ago. ago. <laughs> um, so, oh, do we have oh, yeah, title. a title, working okay. title? Okay. Here's the working title I found. Uh, okay. So the co-writer of Peppermint Soda, Elaine Lanry, I think, um, also did a film, a 1980 film called... Uh, what did I ever do to the good Lord to deserve a wife who drinks in cafes with men? <laughs> what is with the Europeans and their titles I that are like a Fiona Apple love it. album title? <laughs> it's a full, it's an eye chart. It's just yeah. going down. It's a full eye chart. <laughs> yeah, so. I love it. It just rolls off the tongue. It does. I just, for certain, the good Lord thing is it's just funny to me. It's also so, um. it's so evocative. You're like, oh, I can see exactly the scenario. Well, it paints a picture. In. It sure does. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so. I think it could actually work All with right. the thing I just came up okay. with. I think the eponymous woman, <laughs> yeah. referred to, I don't think I'm using that word right in this case, yeah. uh, in the title, could be Isabelle Huppert. Ooh. Uh, she, it, speak, it's funny, you're speaking, of, you mentioned the woman stalker thing. She does play oh, yeah. a woman, uh, sort of sort of um, cultivating, stalking another woman. woman yeah, on see, woman I again. was going to, I forgot to mention a few uh, woman-on-woman ones of, like, single white female, Inger Goes West, and Greta. So, yeah. sorry, let me just pop that in there, because that's another little it's a mini trope sh- thing, yeah. Yeah, mini genre. It anyway. is. Um, they do tend to be better, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They're <laughs> <laughs> sexier. So, in this one, so it's Isabel Huppert, I want her to own a club in Berlin in the 80s. All right. I think I want her to be some kind of drug kingpin, kind Ooh. of like light sleeper vibes, uh-huh. isn't Sarandon style. Mm-hmm. That's just the, this is what I'm going with. Okay. I feel like she has this 80s European look even now. Mm-hmm. And I also think she is really scary to me even yes, before this film me. she yeah. really scares me so the idea of like working for her in a club where people are like doing crazy drugs mm-hmm. and like dancing all night and like yeah. looking insane like insane outfits crazy lighting like but she's in her office she's, in she's her like office. looking down on her empire yeah 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 that kind of reminds me a little bit of um only god forgives yeah. have you seen that like as yeah. far as um is it kristen scott, scott thomas was like Sort of a oh a gangster yeah she was like, like a, a sort of yeah king kingpin yeah, type yeah. yeah or at least a very scary woman <laughs> I know that frightening older yeah. woman yes exactly <laughs> but sexy sexy yeah okay well speaking of sexy my actor is Bill Camp who is an older gentleman from the night of and midnight special and loving and the new Joker movie maybe and I don't oh. think you would know him by name yeah but. You might maybe just Google him right now. But anyway, he's just, I mean, he's maybe probably like in his 50s or maybe early 60s. Let's just say 50s. Yeah. And he's just, 
he's just a white dude, but he's like has that sort of like gravitas that like I believe everything he's saying now because he's a white guy. I'm just yeah. saying he has this. So this is way he about the him. husband? Too? Maybe, <laughs> or maybe he's like the sort of I don't want to say number two, but you know what I mean. The sort her of lieutenant. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Her lieutenant. Yeah. And the trope, yes, the trope is from peppermint soda. I someone steamed open a letter. So I just, yeah, that's all. I just want someone to Ooh, steam open a letter. No one steams open letters open anymore because no one gets letters in the mail. So, yeah, maybe just have a, like, Ooh, Maybe she thinks that he is trying to go out on his own. That's it. And, like, yes. start his own ring. So, his own dance club. Like, he's, like, the manager of the club, right? Okay. And But she yeah, thinks yeah. that he's trying to, like, start his own, like, drug ring associated with maybe, like, another club. And so, like, when he gets the mail, she's, like, fully, like, opening it oh, before yes. I she's intercepting it. I want to see her with, like, her, she's on a counter. She's, like, sitting on a counter. That blouse her, is so open. It's open, like, four buttons deep. Yeah. She's got her legs crossed. She's on a counter. And she's, like, leaning over. And she's, like, got a tea kettle or whatever. Whatever yeah. steam comes out of a radiator and she like steaming up in a letter yeah. and we're like looking up to the light and okay yeah, yeah but like so calmly with that like dead-eyed mm-hmm. kind of look that she can oh. give it's just like and it does not end well someone no. she definitely i think she prevails and like he gets oh yeah like push off a balcony or something. i mean basically yeah. yeah he's definitely done but it she gets away with it yeah yeah and it's called what did I ever do to the good Lord to deserve a wife who drinks in cafes with men? Maybe that's the name of the club. <laughs> Maybe that's a perfect. Put that perfect. in neon. Yeah. Slap that's it up one there. Side and take them a whole block and a half. Go. Put it, that. it goes around the block. Yeah. Put that in the phone Ooh, book. It goes with like the velvet rope. The velvet rope goes around the block Ooh, and so does that neon so sign. So does the neon sign. Yeah, I'm into it. I feel like this is, we're actually maybe just making a concept club for 2019 Berlin, yeah. perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Meg, you got anything on your radar? Anything you've been watching, want to watch? Anything you said must avoid, you know, right? Please stay <laughs> away. Please stay away. <laughs> um, I think I only have a couple things of note that I have watched and would recommend. Watched a couple things on Mubi this week. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Um, so I watched Inland Sea, which is a 2018 observational documentary by Kazuhira Soda. Uh, the pretty well-known Japanese filmmaker. They the movie was like highlighted a bunch of his films. Um, so Inland Sea is about the fishing village of Ushimado, which is kind of like halfway between Osaka and Hiroshima. Um, it's not mentioned in the film, but it's also the family home of Soda's wife Kyoko Kashiwagi, who accompanies him through the town as he's like talking to people. She's also the film's producer. They basically just walk around shooting the shit with people who live in the village. Um, The village is dying as young people seek ways of living elsewhere uh, because the realities of overfishing and climate change are really looming in the background and Mm -hmm. characters actually refer to it. So it's just this very quiet, interesting, absorbing black and white document of a place that honestly very soon will not exist, at least in the way that it has for generations. Mm -hmm. That sounds sad, but it's actually just very human and absorbing. Um, Also, if you like cats, it's really great. It's a great film for the cat lovers. (laughs) There's a lot of cats around town. I also watched King of New York for the first time. Uh, So Abel Ferrara's 1990 movie that stars Christopher Walken as... 
I don't know how you describe him, but almost like a socialist crime boss <laughs> that's uh, released from prison, and he quickly sets about uh, dispatching his enemies with a pretty specific social agenda. Lawrence Fishburne's in it. Oh, Giancarlo Esposito's in it. <laughs> uh, Wesley Snipes plays a cop. Biggie actually used the drug kingpin's name as a pseudonym because of the King of New York thing, but I can also see how the moral universe of the film would be appealing to him. Mm-hmm. It definitely appealed to me. I actually think it could also be a great swap for The Godfather. It's totally really different <laughs> oh, than yeah. Mikey and Nikki, but mm-hmm. it's so stylish. Everyone's wearing like circa 1990, all black with like gold chains, like little caps, leather, mm-hmm. and like spandex. And you get to watch cops get blown away. So right. that's really fun. <laughs> and as you can imagine, like Christopher Walken's line delivery is a bananas. <laughs> so it's well worth a watch yeah. for hearing him like be like, I heard that and like <laughs> dancing to it's just it's a real thing. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so that was also on movie, actually. And then finally, we started watching a show that Aparna Nanchurla, a star of a recent pitch Ooh. of ours <laughs> yes. um, in our minds, yeah. Uh, recommended in a recent interview. This show does not disappoint. It is called Kantaro the Sweet Tooth Salaryman. It is a Japanese show about a guy who works for a publishing company and he manages to like rush through his sales appointments with bookstores so he can check out dessert shops all over <laughs> Tokyo. Like he's like, okay, I've got two hours. So let me get through these dumb yes. booksellers. Yeah. And then he heads to real life. Uh, sweet shops so it's a blend of kind of this narrative fiction and then this really wacky surreal comedy Uh when he's actually eating the food and kind of a food reality show Uh, so I mean I've already like put some sweet shops on my list just from watching the show I'm like (laughs) that looks great Uh, I don't Okay, I don't know if it's meant to imply that he has an erotic relationship to desserts, but that is definitely how it reads from my perspective. Like, at one point, he's blasted in the face with, like, this syrup. Anyway. Oh, wow. You just have to watch it and tell me what you think. Um, I know I recommended a Japanese food show the last episode, but deal with it. I'm preparing for a trip, and I also... I feel like Netflix is really only good for international programming most of the time. Yeah, and food shows. And food shows. Both. So yeah. this is both those things. Yeah. You got to squeeze that blood from this turnip, you know? <laughs> no. uh, anyway, that's it. That's it for me <laughs> for now. <laughs> well, this was a random story that I don't know where I first saw it, but I saw some mention of this thing, and then I was going through my movie watch list, and it's called... Watch the K Foundation burn a million quid. It's a documentary about the real-life techno group, the KLF, who also formed an art collective called the K Foundation. And as one of their art projects, they, for real, as far as I can tell, burned one million pounds of their own money in a shack on the Isle of Jura, which was filmed by their roadie named Gimpo. So (laughs) I just, I don't know. I find that fascinating if that's true. I mean, it... It makes my blood boil that someone would do that, like would yeah. burn money, and when it doesn't matter, that's a whole other thing. But it's I don't know, it's fascinating, and I want to watch yeah. this because I'm like I don't understand. I just heard about it, but I don't know like the context, like yeah. who they are, and like yeah. what kind of music they do, yeah. and like so I don't know. I just want to explore that. I'm not actually sure what year that came out, but I think it happened in like the early mid '90s. Mm-hmm. Also, this is just like <laughs> we were texting about this. 
I want a podcast. This is kind of a pitch thing here. I want a podcast about the conspiracy that Michael Jordan's gambling allegedly led to the mysterious murder of his father. Because um, I read some articles yeah. about the whole thing, like on, not just like on the Daily Mail or something. No, no, it's like a like, it's Washington Post, like pretty well, real. like among like yeah. basketball people. I feel like as people are like, oh yeah, that's yeah, it's the deal. Thing. But it's exactly. very you're like you said, it's very. It's I not actually it. like in. There's not like in the mainstream series. kind yeah. of like true. I mean, people they're into true crime. I just was like going on all these sites and I was like, I don't see anything about this really. It's like sort true of like, crime people don't know anything about sports. Sorry. Maybe that's it. Yeah, because I figured at least I don't know, last that's podcast it. on the left. I mean, I don't listen to them, but something like that. I feel like they'd be all yeah. over it, like because it's a conspiracy. But I didn't really. I didn't check into them specifically. But I didn't see any any big links to anything. It was all like CBS News and stuff. I was like, okay. So there weren't a lot of major articles about it, but the ones I could find. Like I was reading about the the murder, and it makes no sense. I don't understand why you wouldn't report someone missing for like three weeks and stuff like that. Or anyway, I mean, why you would uh, burn a, a John Doe a body before you? Anyway, do you feel like it's because there's like an organized crime element? I think there, of? there potentially is, or at least like a drug element. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that people or one of the guys that's in prison should not be in prison. Yeah. No matter. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't even conspiracy, but it's. Anyway, yeah. and so I just want an investigative true crime podcast series, kind of like one of those where there's about eight episodes. I want someone to, to dive deep into it, and I want to, I don't yeah. want to do the research, but I want to like, hear someone do the research. what about a 30 for 30? Is because, there a, I mean, there um, isn't is one. There oh, a, yeah. I, no, I would, don't think so. Yeah. But there's so much to it, I think, on the actual crime element of it. Like, I'd, I'd love a 30 for 30, but also... I would love someone to get into the nitty-gritty of, like, the yeah. court procedure of, like, what the fuck happened. So, but, okay, on a lighter, well, sort of lighter <laughs> note, yeah. um, there was a film I saw that looked interesting called Fashion Crimes. Mm. So, I'm like, that's a perfect title. It <laughs> pushes all my buttons. Uh, it's an in- Italian thriller from 1989. So, here's the synopsis. Gloria is a fashion model. After her car breaks down, she seeks assistance from a nearby villa. The next day, she wakes up with amnesia, but is convinced she witnessed a murder. She's helped by a psychiatrist who tries to unlock her memory. So I'm like, yep, yes, yes, yes. yes. Ticks all the boxes. <laughs> exactly. So, yep, that's it. That's, that's it for me. <laughs> Just all those very similar things. Uh, yeah, so sorry, all that kind of runs the gamut, but... Uh, Could also be the title of a collage of my outfits from <laughs> 2000 to 2008. <laughs> Fashion, Fashion crimes. crimes. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to keep up with us, or drop us a line at storyboardpod at gmail.com via Instagram at storyboardpodcast or via Twitter at storyboard underscore pod let us know if Easy Rider is your numero uno movie of all <laughs> maybe, time and I shall um, over it mail us a letter and we'll steam it open all <gasps> sexy like <laughs> I have a I have several silk blouses okay. all of which could be unbuttoned okay well both sit on a counter with blouses yeah. steam open a letter but that's so. like a Patreon thing. Not that we have a Patreon. But I'm like, oh, sounds like a photo shoot. We should need have. To pay, you need to pay me some money. <laughs> you need to pay me some money for yeah, that. Okay, okay. okay. I don't give that shit away for free. <laughs> um, all the links of all the movies we talk about or any articles we mention are in the episode notes. Till next time. Sorry. <laughs> no, <that's laughs> just... It was just funny. Yeah. It looked like we were at a work event for you, and I brought, like I took my tent off a little bit. I'm like, what? <laughs> like,
she said a little bit. It's a it's little just, bit. Like, even with those four buttons, it's yeah, like, and then it's just, you get some nip. 